Welcome to the Daily Office Lectionary. I'm Father Reed. Today we are going to look at the fourth Sunday after the Epiphany. The fourth Sunday after the Epiphany. Now remember, the Epiphany is a day, a set day, an immovable day of the year. It is January the 6th, and that is the day that we celebrate the coming of the Magi to see Jesus. An Epiphany is about a revelation, if you will, an appearing, a, an aha moment about Jesus Christ, okay? He is going to appear. He is going to make himself known. He is going to reveal himself. Now, what we pray happens is that as he reveals himself, as he appears, that we will see him. We will know who he is. We will believe in him. And he's specifically going to go to his Jewish people, but he's also going to go to the Gentiles. And so Jesus Christ appears in his daily ministry, his ministry of spanning about three years, and he's going to share his message with us. Now, in the fourth Sunday after the Epiphany, we are going to be looking at three different texts in the Bible for this coming week. Now, you, you see the scriptures on this um, program, and you see Genesis 18 through 24. You should see Hebrews 11 through 12. And you should see John's Gospel, chapter 6 through John, chapter 7. Now, you'll also see Galatians 5 and Mark 8 on Sunday. Galatians 5, 13 to 25 is about the flesh and the spirit. It's actually a wonderful text. Um, oftentimes on Sunday, we'll have a different scripture to go with that Sunday, since that is the primary day of worship. And in Mark chapter 8, you have a text. But we have been staying with John for several weeks now. And of course, next week, when we look at the fifth Sunday after the Epiphany, we will also be in John. Interestingly, Mark also has a text on Sunday. Well, let's begin in Genesis chapter 18, first book of the Bible. And we are at, all of a sudden at a very, very interesting scripture, chapter 18, 16 to 33. And that is the very famous text uh, concerning the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. The destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah that we see extended into chapter 19. Now, what happens in chapter 18 is that Abraham is pleading for God not to destroy Sodom. And what we see in chapter 19 is that Sodom is actually destroyed. It's a very, very interesting scripture. Verse 20 of chapter 18. The outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin so grievous that I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. Now, the last time this was so bad was in the days of Noah, remember what happened there. The flood came, chapter 6, 7, 8. The flood came, and God promised in the Noahic covenant that he would not destroy the earth again by putting a rainbow in the sky. Now Sodom is a very, very despicably wicked place, and God is going to destroy it. And Abraham said to God in chapter 18, verse 23, will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Now, are the righteous going to die too? What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of 50 righteous? 
Far be it for you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you. Will not all the earth, judge of the earth do right? So he's pleading with God. He's talking to God. I encourage you to do the same thing. Talk to God. Tell him what's on your mind. Speak to him. All right, God says in verse 26, if I find 50 righteous people, I won't destroy it. Uh, Abraham says, well, how about 45? Okay, 45. How about 40? All right, I won't do it for 40. How about 30? Boy, he's really pushing, his, pushing the Lord here. Now that I've been so bold to speak to the Lord, what if 20, 50, 45, 40, 40 30, 20? What about 10? All the way down to 10. I won't destroy it. Well, the 19th chapter is a very, very wonderful chapter. And the angels arrived at Sodom. Lot was sitting in the gateway of the city. And lots of bad things have ha happened uh, consequently. The outcry to the Lord against the people is so great that I've been sent to destroy it. Verse 13. Verse 15. With the coming of dawn, the angels urged Lot, hurry, take your wife and your two daughters, and you'll be swept away when the city is punished. And so Lot said, your servant has found favor in your eyes. Verse 18. You have shown him great kindness in sparing my life. Verse 21, very well, I will grant this request. I will not overthrow the town you speak of, but flee there quickly because I cannot do anything until you reach it. By the time Lot reached Zoar, the sun had risen over the land. Then the Lord raining down, burning sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. Thus he overthrew those cities in the entire plain, including all those living in the cities and all the vegetation. Lot's wife looked back and she became a pillar of salt. Early the next morning, Lot got up. He looked toward Sodom and Gomorrah. He saw the dense smoke rising from the land, smoke like a furnace. So when God destroyed the cities of the plain, he remembered Abraham and he brought Lot out of the catastrophe that overthrew the cities where Lot had lived. Lot had lived there, had chosen to live there. Abraham had asked Lot, you live wherever you want. He chose the area on the plain, I've been there before. It's very flat, near the Dead Sea. Very quiet, not much out there. And the Lord destroyed them in the famous Sodom and Gomorrah, the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Enjoy that reading. Chapter 21, the birth of Isaac. So Isaac is going to be born to Sarah and Abraham, remember Ishmael, born first from Hagar. It was not the will of the Lord that that happened. They did not trust God. Sarah became pregnant, verse 2 of 21, bore a son. To Abraham in his old age at the very time that God had promised them. Hagar and Ishmael are sent away. And, and so the child of the promise is born, Isaac. Hagar and Ishmael were sent away. Ishmael was not destroyed. Hagar was not destroyed, but they are not children of the promise. Chapter 22 is another very interesting and very famous chapter in the Bible, way beyond what I'm going to do with you today in terms of sharing very quickly with you. And this is the testing of Abraham. 
when he sacrifices his son uh, Isaac on the altar. And uh, please read that very carefully, very slowly. It prefigures the death of Christ. It prefigures the sacrifice of Christ for us. It tests the faith of Abraham, who does obey God, and he passes the test, and God blesses him. Here's what he says at the end at verse 17 of 22. I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies, and through your offspring all nations on the earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. God often tests us and asks us to do things that seem impossible. So in the end of chapter 18, we saw where Abraham uh, interceded for the people of Sodom, and God listened and granted his request, but unfortunately did not find 10 people. We have the birth of Isaac in chapter 21, and in chapter 22, the testing of Abraham, who is now going to lead the people of Israel in a very, very dynamic and powerful way. In chapter 23, we have the death of Sarah. And in chapter 24, we have Isaac and Rebekah. Now, Isaac is going to grow up, and in the middle section of Genesis, we are going to see uh, stories about Isaac, beginning with Rebekah. We begin in verse 1 very quickly. Abraham was now old and well advanced in years, chapter 24, and the Lord had blessed him in every way. And he was going to swear before the Lord. And so we have eventual passing of Abraham, and then we have the passing of the torch to Isaac. In Genesis 24 to the end of the chapter, we have Rebekah, the, the wonderful story about him, her drawing water uh, for Isaac and uh, the worshiping of the Lord, the praising of the Lord. Um, and it's a beautiful uh, way that they meet Rebecca uh, when she uh, goes to draw water. So read that very closely. Um, and I think you'll be blessed by a beautiful reading uh, in the life of Isaac. So we are passing through Abraham. We're going to be looking at Isaac and then, of course, eventually um, Jacob. Let's go to uh, Hebrews chapter 11. Now, some of you may know Hebrews chapter 11. It's called the faith chapter. If you look at the chapter, you can see that it's a quite long chapter and it is about faith and it lists some very famous Old Testament figures and their faith and what they did and how important faith is in our walk with God. And so we look at chapter 11 and we look at chapter 12 today. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see, chapter 11, verse 1. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command, verse 3, so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. Then he starts the catalog. We have Abel, then we have Enoch, verse 6, and without faith it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So gives us a better definition of faith and then he will give us examples of faith. We have by faith Noah, then we have in verse 7, by faith Abraham, chapter 8. We've talked about Noah and Abraham uh, in this daily lectionary class. 
In verse 11, we've talked about uh, Abraham again, and then Sarah was barren. And, of course, eventually she has Isaac, and God provides for them. All these people were living by faith, verse 13, when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and wandered, welcomed them from a distance. See, they did not see the full promise that the folks in the New Testament received when Christ the Messiah came. As we go through this, look at verse 17. We just talked about this. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau. Now, we're going to eventually uh, say more about Isaac. And then, as, as I said earlier, you have Jacob, then you have Joseph, we have Moses. And when we get into the book of Exodus, then we have the walls of Jericho. In Joshua, the prostitute Rahab in verse 31. Then we have Samson and David and Samuel and the prophets. And you will enjoy reading through this beautiful chapter, long chapter, and the importance of their faith and their faithfulness and their obedience to God, our obedience to God, how important it is to do what God tells us to do. Enjoy that chapter very much. I love chapter 12, 1 and 2 of Hebrews. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race that is marked for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So we are part of these great witnesses. People are cheering us on, part of the body of Christ. Then he just gives us some beautiful ways to live our lives in chapter 12. Make every effort to live at peace, verse 14, with all men and be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Lots of uh, great advice to the way that we should live our lives uh, in uh, Hebrews. Verse 22, you have come to Mount Zion, the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. You've come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. You've come to God, the judge of all men, to Jesus, the meteor of a new covenant, the sprinkled blood. That speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Remember Cain and Abel. Cain shed Abel's blood. So we have received a kingdom, verse 28, that cannot be shaken. Let us be thankful. And so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. So chapter 11 and 12 of Hebrews, wonderful chapters, one about faith, one about Christ, and how important our relationship with Christ is and some theology in terms of the way we should live and conduct ourselves and live in our daily lives. Okay, let's move on from Hebrews chapter 12 to John chapter 6. John chapter 6, 27 to 40. John chapter 6, 27 to 40. Now Jesus is going to talk about himself being the bread of life. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they said, Rabbi, when did you get here? I tell you the truth, Jesus said, you are looking for me, not because you saw miraculous signs, but you ate of the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. 
He's, what must we do to do the work that God requires? The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has set. What miraculous sign are you going to do? We had manna in the desert. What are you going to do? Well, he ups them by saying in verse 35, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. I'm going to provide something for you that's better than manna. Now, manna was provided on a daily basis by God miraculously, and they, they prospered. They were fed. They did not go hungry. What Jesus is going to offer is better than manna because he's going to offer it one time, and he's going to offer himself. So it's more of a spiritual thing, obviously, than a physical thing. And in the offering of himself, that will be enough that anyone needs in their life. I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. You'll never be hungry. You'll never be thirsty. I have come down from heaven, in verse 38, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. All right. So he has this dialogue with the people John uses his gospel in such a way to write it, these long discourses, this tremendous theology and teaching about Christ. It is just really very, very beautiful. As we go through chapter 6, we have the Jews grumbling. I'm the bread that came down from heaven, verse 41. Isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he say, I've come down from heaven? Who is this guy? Stop grumbling, Jesus says. No one can come to me, verse 43, unless the Father who sent me draws him. And so now he's having this argument with the Jews and this discussion with the Jews. He talks about himself being the bread of life. He says, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. It's a very strong statement to make. Our forefathers ate man in the desert and they died, but he who feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while he was teaching in the synagogues in Capernaum. Many deserted him, saying that this is too hard a teaching. And all the teachings of Jesus, this is that one place, I'm sure it happened many times, where they just said, this is too much. I cannot, I cannot follow you. He said the spirit, Jesus did in verse 63 of chapter 6, the spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and they are life. Yet there were some who did not believe. And so many of his disciples, verse 66, turned back and no longer followed him. You do not want to leave too, do you? He asked the 12. Do you all want to leave too? Simon Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know you are the Holy One of God. So that's the decision all of us got to make. Are you going to follow Jesus or not? Are you going to walk away? Are you going to listen? When it gets difficult, when it gets hard, when it's not easy, what are we going to do? Jesus pro provides all the sustenance that we need, all the nurturing, all the nourishment that we need. He provides the thirst to quench our thirst. He provides the water. He provides himself. Again, these are symbols. He provides as we will see in our Eucharistic service, the bread and the wine to feed us as symbols of him being present with us by his grace and love. This is a very, very profound teaching, very strong teaching, and it turned many away. In chapter 7, 
We have 1 to 13 and 14 to 36. Jesus goes to the Feast of the Tabernacles. He goes to the feast and worships. He says in verse 18, He who speaks on his own does so to gain honor for himself, but he who works for the honor of the one who sent him is a man of truth. There's nothing false about him. What is he doing? He's sharing what the Father God tells him to share. How did this man get so much learning since he hasn't studied? Verse 15, he's listening to the Father. He's listening to God. Remember, he's a person that prays, prays. He's a person that goes to the Lord. He's a person that spends time listening to the Lord God. You are demon-possessed, the crowd answered. Who's trying to kill you? See, he's got some people that are for him. He's got some people that are against him. Or they all tried to seize him in verse 30, but no one laid a hand on him because his time had not yet come. Remember, God is completely in charge. So the Pharisees and the crowd, many of them were against him. Some believed. Some saw the signs and said yes to him. And so there was tremendous debate in the crowd and among his people as to whether he was the Christ or not. Certainly the religious people did not support him. And I'm sure that the disciples had discussions among themselves about what they believed. Well, we will pick this up next week in the fifth Sunday after the Epiphany with verse 37 of chapter 7. There's much to think about in Genesis with Abraham and Isaac. There's much to think about in Hebrews in the great chapter on faith. And then a beautiful chapter in chapter 12 concerning some more wonderful theology from that very wonderful book. And, of course, we go back to Jesus in chapter 6, the chapter on the bread of life and how Jesus really does provide for all of our needs. But we have to know him and love him and serve him and honor him. And then in chapter 7, back and forth with the crowd and with the Pharisees about who he is and what he's doing. He loved to debate them. He shared his life with them. Some accepted, some rejected. I pray that you will have a wonderful holy week of reading and prayer and opening these scriptures up and learning something and thinking about them. May the Holy Spirit speak to you and bless you. We'll see you next week for the Daily Lectionary.